and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. When someone says that God spoke to them, what does that mean, and how do you know? Founding pastor Randy Pope brings us this 45th anniversary message entitled Faith Living in the Midst of the Seemingly Impossible, which covers Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 and 6 and Numbers chapters 13 and 14. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning. My name is Bob Carter, one of the pastors here on staff at Perimeter. And uh, as Jeff mentioned, uh, celebrating 45 years, 1977, Randy Carroll, Pope, came to Atlanta to start a church with a vision to start a church, the impact, uh, the community for the gospel, and the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think about it sometimes as a mission impossible. That is, as they came, what they, what they, they came and they didn't have much money in their pockets, didn't know anyone, but yet God had a vision through Randy to plant this church here, and, and we're so grateful for that. What an inspiring story if you've never heard about the beginnings of Perimeter. So here it is. We go 45 years, but during that time, Randy has a vision also that at some point we're going to transition leadership. And in 2019, we transitioned to Jeff, became the senior pastor. Randy stepped aside, stepped down, uh, but still on our staff. All right. Remember this, Randy is not retired, so don't ask him how retirement's going. He's not retired, but uh, still serving on our staff. And the transition has worked wonderfully, and, and really Jeff has continued that vision of doing, you know, seeing God work, and as he's emphasized and encouraged us in radical dependence upon him. And so just grateful to have, absolutely. And I think at about 1977, I did want to ask, where were you during that time? Uh, a, thought, a thought in my parents' head. A thought in your parents' head. <laughs> um, but I did want to spend just a few moments asking them some questions, let you hear from them. And uh, I'm going to start with you, Randy, and then and Jeff can respond, knowing that obviously there's no perfect church, but you guys have a great, and, and I as well, we have a great love for this church. What is it about, when you think about perimeter, what is it uh, that you love? Well, there are a lot of things, and uh, we were given a few minutes, a little time to think about this before we got up, and uh, I would say at the head of it all is the, you, the people of the church, and I mean that. We've, we've got the best people imaginable. I can't, I mean, I look through the years, and I'm just uh, so impressed and thankful with uh, you, the people, and then the officers and the, and the uh, staff. I mean, God's just blessed this church with some incredible people, faithful, faithful people. Uh, I would say, too, uh, theology. I, am, uh, I love the theology of this church. It's a historic, biblical theology, and without which you wouldn't have a great church. So that, and then uh, I would say as well, the, uh, the uh, polity, you know, I, 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 that goes way high on my list, that we have a polity, a church government that never allows an individual to be the leader of the church. It's not, that's, that stuff's dangerous. And so, you, you know, we have a wonderful, healthy polity. And then you've got, uh, you know, I would say the philosophy of ministry. It's very missional. Uh, I just am thankful that it's a constant look out to find the lost sheep and, and then to feed them well. So I just, those are the things that come to my mind. 
I said in the first service that, uh, you know, we did not talk about our answers previous to this, and, uh, but remarkable how very similar. I, the, the three things that immediately came to mind when Bob sent us the questions was the people. Just deeply, deeply grateful for all of you. You have loved and encouraged Rachel and me and our family so, so well, um, and uh, just the way in which you are so very faithful yourselves. Um, the, the doctrine, which is, you know, as Randy said, the theology and um, what I was able to step into in terms of a healthy church from a theological standpoint, I will forever be grateful for. Uh, and the commitment to uh, discipleship, that this is a church, um, again, so very healthy because it's a church that has completely bought into the mindset of Jesus' great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And so um, those three things that certainly would echo the polity as well, so very important, but... Uh, but uh, almost, I could pretty much just say ditto to what you said. <laughs> okay, so the next question would be, you know, when you think about, you have memories of perimeter, and obviously you have a lot more because you've been here 45 years, but one memory that just makes you smile, or maybe a combination of something, just makes you smile, you look back upon the ministry of perimeter. Well, I would say it uh, may well be the last three years. And... Um... <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean it like that. I mean, I just, uh, I, I look here at Jeff and our leadership and the team and what's happened in three years. I mean, you can't imagine what it would be if, I can't even imagine if you invest your life this many years and then all of a sudden, poof, and it's, it's taken away because of poor leadership and, and poor this, we don't have that. I smile because uh, of Jeff and the team and the leadership, the elders, and I just, that's my smile. Yeah, I know he didn't mean it this way, but uh, I've lost count of the number of times that Randy's told me, man, I am so glad that I'm not preaching every Sunday anymore, and I'm not having to show up to all these meetings, and uh, so anyway, uh, you know, some, again, similarly, I, I would say three years ago, on September 22nd of 2019, was when we, you know, passed the baton, so to speak, and I just can't imagine. I, I, I get to share with other pastors and churches, and, and Randy does a lot of coaching of other pastors and churches. And to be able, for me to be able to say, I, I cannot imagine following someone who so thoroughly thought through, prayed about, and, and walked into and through a transition better than Randy did to set me up for success. I mean, for me to be able to step into um, something that, again, so very healthy. It just puts a, it, so the question, what, what do you smile? It puts a smile on my face. Uh, I pinch myself that I get to be the pastor of Perimeter Church. It's just surreal and an honor and a privilege all at once. And so much of it was, is because of um, just how very smooth the transition was because of, because of this guy. So. I, have a, I have a ton of memories, and I could spend all day, not that I'm going to, sharing, but uh, one particular memory stands out. It happened, I don't know, we moved in this facility around 1996, but 20-plus uh, years ago, uh, I think it was on a Sunday night, we had some event here. You can watch the screen, see, see what, uh, what I saw.
crazy. All right. Is that scary? That, that's, that's the scariest moment of my memory. Scary. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, so. Uh, what am I going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> um, I mean, we have a scale of skyscraper off a helicopter, maybe try to jump on a plane as it's taken off. What, what are you doing? Well, I'll say this. Another thing Randy taught me over the years is the beautiful art of delegation as a leader. And um, he has told me on occasions how much he somewhat regretted doing that and how close he came to dying. So, um, so I made the decision a while back that if we ever do anything like that in the future, um, I will absolutely use a stunt double. And it just so happens that we have a, we have a man on staff, a dear friend and brother who looks oh, yeah. just like me. I want you to meet him. Well, is he coming out? Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, you see the resemblance, right? People always call me Jeff. People call him Jeff constantly, not Bill. And, and uh, Bill would want you to know that those beautiful blonde locks are all natural. And uh, yeah. So he'll be doing the rappelling and the helicopter and all that. So thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Like to do it for another 10 years. Another 10 years. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Bill. Somebody just turned to somebody and said, they, he doesn't look anything like him. <laughs> so, um, so this last question, the future, uh, what excites you about the future as we, as we move forward? Mm. Well, I think the uh, enormous potential excites me. Uh, I think we tend to look at uh, 45 years and say, wow, look what's happened. Can you imagine what's going to happen in the next 45 years and what can happen? I mean, starting with these resources and where we are and what we've got. But I hope our resources don't stop that from being the case, that we'll depend upon him. But I'm just, I'm excited. I look at stuff like what's happening in Karantz and what's happening in our city, you know, ministries and, and what's happening in discipleship, all the things that are happening. That just excites me. It, it thrills me. And I just think, what's going to be the future? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, something that I probably, I don't think I've shared with the church is our, our last several membership classes have been just maxed out, which encourages me greatly in terms of some of the families and individuals that God is bringing into the church. But, but even more important than, than gr numerical growth is uh, some of the things that I can't wait to share with you. So this will be a bit of a teaser. I can't wait to share with you in the next six, uh, six to eight weeks uh, that we're, we're moving into a, uh, a campaign season where we will envision for the next three years. And so what, rather than me going into what I'm excited about for the next three years, now I'm going to ask you to attend one of our vision nights and visioning nights so that you can hear more about it. But, but I'm, a, I'm absolutely thrilled and encouraged, excited about some of the things that God has laid on our hearts to share with you about what's to come. So I hope you'll join. Thank you, man. And I, I want to say what a tremendous privilege. And I'll uh, say this with all my heart, sincerely, being around these two men. Uh, the thing I have never heard, that uh, this is the church of Randy Pope or the church of Jeff Norris. Uh, these two men are committed. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we worship him, and so I appreciate you men, appreciate you following him and seeking to bring him glory and honor. 
I'm going to allow uh, Jeff here to pray for Randy as, uh, as he'll come and bring God's Word. Yes, Father, um, we just thank you. We thank you, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness, your kindness to us over these 45 years. Thank you for the call that you, you put on Randy and Carol those many years ago to come here and to attempt something so great for God that it's doomed to fail, lest you be in it. Thank you for what you will do as we look back at your faithfulness. We look forward with confidence, not in ourselves, but in you, that you are the one who leads your church in triumphal procession. Even the one that we sang about earlier, the one who carries your children and your church to the glory of your name. And so we pray for Randy now as he brings us um, your word. Would you anoint him? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, press deep into our hearts uh, what you would have us walk away with this morning? May we be encouraged by the character of our God. And we thank you in advance in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. And thank you as a church for, thank you. Yep. Thank you. I greatly appreciate so much the privilege that, uh, that I have had over these years. And now to be invited to, uh, to preach, I'm honored and I'm, I thank you for that uh, invite to do so. And uh, as I do, what do you talk about at your 45th anniversary? I want it to, to be something that it certainly addresses where we are today and it remembers where we were yesterday and understands the greatness of God in doing so. And so uh, here was my thought. Let me assume that I have only two gifts to give to God. I don't know if you've ever thought through something like that, but if you had two gifts to give to God, what would you give him? And uh, you don't have time to think about it, but I thought about it quite a bit. And when I come to the answer, I think, could there be anything more important than giving him uh, a life of love? And number two, a life of faith. Could there be anything greater than those two? And uh, today, what I want to do, I want to address the second of those topics, which is a life of faith. And I do it under a title. If I give a title to this, it'd be Faith Living in the Midst of the Seemingly Impossible. Every one of us are addressing the issues of life that we think are impossible. We know God wants it. We know we should. We know we, but it, there's, there's something there. We just, it's, a, it's an absence of faith. And if there's anything that we'd want to give to God, certainly faith would be right there at the top, in the top of the list for sure. I mean, think about Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the, the assurance of things hoped for, the confidence of things not seen or the assurance of things that are not seen. Now, let me just make this real clear as I talk about the seemingly impossible and faith and seeing God provide and all this stuff. We're not talking about, you know, things like at 60 or 70 years of age becoming a professional athlete. That's, that's not faith living. That's stupidity right there. <laughs> so that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about, oh, I'm, Lord, I'm going to pray for a, a perfect life, not just being viewed in perfect righteousness, but I mean never sinning. God, that's what I'm about. I'm going to faith, my faith, I'm going to claim that and I'm going to move and that's what's going to happen. That's not what's going to happen. What I'm talking about here is something that's revealed as God's word, as God's will, I'm sorry, revealed as God's will, but seems absolutely impossible to believe or to obey. And every one of us has that, those things in our lives. 
No, I just, I can't. It's the words we say, I know I should, but I can't. I know I should, but I can't. I know I should, but I can't. Whether it be, maybe it's a, a, a moral issue. Maybe it's, it's something to do with, with a chemical dependency, addictions of some sort. Maybe it's a, a, an anger, temper problem that you just can't stop and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried. Or maybe it's being faithful to a spouse that to you seems unlovable. And we say, I've tried. I can't. I just can't do it. Maybe it's, we talk about our coming up in the next uh, month, month or so, we're going to be doing a, a, one of our efforts to, to say, okay, let's, let's pledge what we're going to be giving to the church. Uh, Jeff didn't ask me to say anything about that, but I'm telling you what, my faith got stretched every time. I used, I used to say to pastors, I say to pastors, look, you need to have some kind of an effort to, then have to go to buildings and all that, but to something, just expand the kingdom and ask people to start thinking and praying through what they need to be giving. And because something happens to the hands, they let loose after you pray and you discern and you wrestle. And man, those have been big times in Carol and my life. So uh, maybe it's uh, the Lord's Day issue. It's just an issue that many Christians, I know I probably shouldn't, I know I should, but I, you know. It's just so many things that come up in our life. We say, I know as a Christian I should, but it seems impossible. I want to use as an illustration to this a story out of Exodus. I'm mean, sorry, out of Numbers. It's rooted in Exodus, but Numbers 13 and 14, if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn them. But it's going to be a very brief, just kind of snapshot look to illustrate what we're talking about here. So in doing so... Uh, let me read, first of all, Exodus 6, uh, 18. This is where God revealed his will to the Israelites. And so it's preceding what we're going to read in Numbers 13 and 14. But in the sixth chapter, in the eighth verse, it says, I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession I am the Lord. Well, when we come to Numbers chapter 13, this is the time that now God says, all right, I, I promised you, you've heard this promise that there's a, there's a land for you and it's a wonderful land and it's, it's, it's given to you, so let's go take it. Now's the time, let's go. This is the story of him saying, all right, let's go get ready. We're gonna do a few things before we actually go in and take it, but now's the time. So you come to Numbers 13, the first three verses read like this. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each tribe, each father's tribes, everyone a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the sons of Israel. So we have that story and, and he says, here's what I want you to do. You 12 guys, you're representing everybody else. You go into the land. You're going to be a spy. Secretly go in. I want you to check it out. Just show, show us what's there. And, and by the way, be sure you look, see what are the cities like? What are the people like? What's the land like? So they go in, the 12 of them, and they spy it all out, and they see it. And they come back, and they say, wow, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. This is a land that has fruit and food like you can't imagine. We even brought some back. It talks about the grapes, the clusters being so great, they had to put them on a pole between two men and the pomegranates and the figs and everything, just incredible, so appealing. But they said, here's the deal, though. The, the people, they are big. 
I think they're descendants of the same people that uh, Goliath, you know. It's just the same people. Though at that point, they wouldn't understand that, but I mean, had they, had they seen Goliath, they'd probably say, ooh, this, these are giants. He says, and by the way, the cities, they are huge and they are fortified. I mean, hoo, hoo, hoo. It, it's going to be amazing. But it, it, that's, that's what we found. Well, we skip ahead. There's the minority report, and that's Joshua and, and uh, Caleb. And this is what they say in verse 30 of chapter 13. It says, then Caleb, speaking for both of them, why did the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. Well, following that, in verse 31, we see uh, there's a majority report. The other 10 said, we are not able to go up against the people. They are too strong for us. We got an obstacle here that we can never, never, never overcome. And so with that, now what's the response of the Israelites? They hear the discussion and they start saying, whoa, 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 we can't go in there, we can't go in there. And so they begin to grumble, they begin to cry and so forth, they wept. And then they actually tried to stone Joshua and Caleb just for having the idea that we should be going in there. And they're going, we don't want to go in there. It's not going to work. Joshua and Caleb are saying, but look what the will of God is. God says we ought to go in there. We can take it. And the, the majority said, no, it's not going to happen. So you come to, to uh, chapter 14, verse 11. Here's what we read. It says, the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? How long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst. He says, look at all I've done to show my wonderful power. But you're saying, no, it won't work. The obstacles are too great. Too great for me, your God? And so with that... It looks like he's going to destroy the people. And Moses comes along as the leader of Israel, and he appeals to God. And he appeals to God's loving kindness and his forgiveness. Isn't that interesting? Always the same. And with that loving kindness and forgiving spirit, he did. And he forgave the people of Israel. But he left consequences. He said, there are going to be some consequences. By the way, you guys... You know, your people, you, you're not going to get into the land. You're going to die because it's going to be 40 years of wandering. You're not going to make it. Joshua and Caleb will, but not the rest of you. There's a dire consequence. And when they heard that, they said, okay, then we're going to go in. He says, don't go in. That's what must happen. Oh, we're going to go. We can do it. We'll go now. We're gonna. And they go in and they get slaughtered. There's destruction all over. And then they go, Wow. We tried, but he says, you did it your way. You didn't do it my way. And I close that text of Scripture there as a great illustration, but it is a, it's a warning. It's a caution warning, particularly to our young generation here. Let me tell you, you know what God's Word has to say about gender. And we see a culture that's saying, no, 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 no. No, 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 we don't believe that. We don't believe that. We don't believe the will of God. We don't believe the will of God. And many of us are just being sucked right in behind. And I say, uh-uh, don't do that. You just remember, when God says something that he's going to do, he will do it. So here is the, 
the first. It's something revealed by God. I mean, it's his word. He says it. This is what you should do. This is what I, it's whatever God says. It's found in his word. But there is also, there's also a second way that God reveals his will. The first is through the, uh, through, uh, the word of God, obviously. But secondly, it's something required by a God-ordained authority. So what we're really doing here is, as I'm walking through this is, is basically saying, okay, we got to figure out how do we know that which is the will of God? How do you know? Okay, it's one thing if it's in the Bible, that's pretty clear. But is that it? No. There are two other very important and misunderstood and, and not even believed in ways that we can find the will of God. And one, number two in the list of those would be something required by a God-ordained authority. Yet it's something we think is just impossible to believe or impossible to obey. And so we dis dismiss those authorities. Well, there are three God-given authorities. He says, these three, when I speak, I speak through them. And that confuses us because he does use them to declare his will. But at the same time, it's not infallible like the word of God. It absolutely can be unwise. It can even be foolish, but not violate the word of God and therefore steal the will of God. And people say, I don't understand. That's so important. What are those three authorities? It's the family to begin with. Take for instance, uh, parents and kids say, I'm not going to do that. I'm a Christian. I love the Lord, but I, that's crazy. Dad, mom, you can't No, you're that. No, 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 no. I can't believe that. I'm not going to do that. I don't I, No, you shouldn't. No, no, no. Finally, they say, all right, you show me in the Bible where it says that I shouldn't be taking the car out tonight <laughs> at 11 in the rain. <laughs> but I want to obey the will of God. Well, as a parent, we say, okay. Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey your parents. This is the will of God, right? Sure, it's the will of God. But parents are allowing things that don't violate the will of God, but they're unwise. But nevertheless, we got to understand. What about the civil magistrate, the authorities, the government? I mean, do any of us think, well, they're always wise. They're making great decisions. Everything's good with them. No. We go, well, this is terrible, some of the things that are happening. But at the same time, you go to Romans 13, 1 and 2, and it says, obey the governing authorities. This is the will of God. Wow, it is the will of God. Now, likewise, if you're violating scripture, not so. Same way with parents. If you're violating scripture, not so. But there's a third authority, and it's the ecclesiastical authority. It's the authority of the church. And now the evangelical church at large has said, let's throw that away. Nobody wants that kind of authority. What do you mean? Well, no, God, God, he speaks for that. Hebrews 13, 7, it says, obey those who watch after your souls. And it's in the context, it's referring to the elders of a church. Well, people are dismissing membership now. They're saying, well, you don't need a membership. Everybody come and go when they want to come and go. Let them do what they want to do. If you're in membership, they've got, they've got it. They hold you accountable. That's not good stuff. No, it is. It's such an important part of good polity, good government. But it is the will of God. Again, one exception, and that is if any of these three go against the word of God, 
You obey God rather than man. Theirs is the will of God, but it may be foolishness. It may be lack of wisdom, but it is the will of God. There's one third and final, and then we can kind of look at, the, at the, the truths we gain from our text and so forth. Here it is. It's when a believer's conscience discerns something to be the will of God. Now, this one becomes a little, a little difficult. This is where we're going to land the rest of my, my minutes that I have. What about the will of God that's not in the word? It's not through any of these God-given authorities. Or put it this way, Christian, do you believe God still speaks to his people? I don't find anybody that would really love the Lord who say, nope, there's no way he can speak to us. But my question then is, well, how does he speak? I, I mean, I personally, I know God can do whatever he wants. I don't ever expect to hear an audible voice. And I'm talking about a voice that you would hear it as the same words that I heard. God spoke audibly. I'm not talking about when he, spoke, you know, he speaks to me and I hear him say, well, that's fine. But be careful, if I've had 500 people over the years I've been a pastor here and said, let me tell you, God told me, I think maybe 3% of them, God told them. I'm not seeing a lot of them that what God's telling them is what's really from God. So we have to be very, very careful. But the reality is, he does speak to us. How does he speak? Through the conscience. And we learn in Romans 14, 23, whatever's not a faith is sin. And it's saying what Luther says. Luther says to go against one's conscience is never right. It's sinful. Unless your conscience violates the written word of God. So this is where this is going to have the rubber hit the road in each of our lives. Because here's the question. How do you, how do you discern the will of God? In this category, how do you know whether it's from God or not? And my story of how I learned this has a lot to do with the life of this church. And it's because it was when I was searching what to do with my life while I'm in seminary. I knew God was pressing me to move toward some form of Christian service occupationally. That's all I knew. I didn't know where, when, I didn't understand anything. And now Carol and I are married. I have another year of seminary. And so now we're together in this project saying, let's figure it out. What should we do? What should we do? And so we both felt that maybe God would, just because of the greater need, we should be going overseas. And so we looked at all these opportunities to go overseas. None of them seemed to match. It just didn't seem to use our gifts. And we're confused and so forth until we were invited by Dr. John Edmund Haggai. Went to the Lord, be with the Lord, just a few years ago at 96. Greatest Christian leader I think I'd ever met. God had blessed me through him and Carol through him, independent before we even knew each other. And, and I was so attracted to him and his ministry and what he was doing. And they're about to take it globally. And he says, I'd like to ask you to come on our staff and be kind of a second man to me and be able to da 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 And when I heard that, I thought, now this would be an overseas experience that I could do. And so Carol and I prayed about it, and then we sensed it was not the right thing. Didn't know what to do, but didn't sense that was the right thing. Just had a no. And so I contact him. I go meet with him at their headquarters. I sit down with him. I said, Dr. Haggai, I, what's so strange is I feel the greater needs overseas, but I, I, 
I've never found anything that's compelling that I think I should do until you ask, and it seems to be the thing I would enjoy and love and so forth, but Carol and I can't explain it. Our conscience says it's not the right thing to do. That's all we just sense. I don't know. And he looked at me, and he said, Randy, you're not thinking correctly. Well, I'm assuming he's saying you need to come with me. But he didn't. He said, it doesn't matter what you do with your life. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't? He said, no. He says, there's only one thing that really matters. I said, what's that? He says, the only thing that matters is that whatever you end up doing, which it doesn't matter what you end up doing, but that whatever that is, that you attempt something so great for God that it's doomed to failure lest God be in it. It's the first time I'd ever heard that statement. When I heard it, I said, oh, Dr. Haggai, that's it. It's faith, isn't it? It's a definition of faith. I love that little statement. And I went, oh, Lord, I've got to figure out what that is. And I know this. I know there are a lot of things I can do that are doomed to failure, but I don't like failing. So I would like to know what it is you want me to do that wouldn't fail because you want me to do it. So with that, I started asking, God, how do, I, how do I know? And this is the logic that I came up with, and I've believed it ever since. It's a missing practice among the people of God in great respect today. I said, you know, if I were to ask God to speak to me, and I were to spend enough time alone and quiet with a pad in my lap and a pencil in my hand, and I would just take down thoughts that come to me while I've invited you into my presence and I spend long time with you. I'm not going to be so foolish to think whatever I write down, oh, that's, that's your will, God, I know. No, but I would assume that if I've asked God to meet with me who loves me and wants to speak to me and lead me, well, surely something on that page is probably from him. Who knows? And then I take whatever that is and I say, God, would you burn those things into my heart where I feel by my conscience I'm sinning if I don't do whatever that may be. And that's how I know what I should do. And I spent dozens and dozens and dozens of hours sitting alone with that pad in my lap saying, Lord, what is it? What should I do? What should I do? And, and God just, one of the things, I asked, burned it into my conscience. They did. I was supposed to be a church planter, which meant I was going to be a pastor, which is not what I thought that I would kind of, when I was growing up, didn't think that would be a good thing for me at all. But I, I just sensed, I knew it's something that we had to do. That's where we're headed. Now the question was this, what makes it doomed to failure? Lest God be in it. Well, I knew one thing, but I'm gonna be the pastor. Another thing is this mic just keeps bugging me. I don't know <laughs> what to do with it, but anyway. So I just knew, all right, there, uh, Lord, what does this church look like? What do I do? If I, and I had a sense that I should, yep, that'd be great. So at that point, I said, okay, what I need to do is I need to figure this out. And so, uh, Lord, what does the church look like? And, and uh, I spent dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of hours. And I, I get this picture of a church 20 years down the road that we plant. And when I did that, I, I look now, uh, 20 years later, I'm, you'd be amazed if you saw what it was written and those volume of pages and what the perimeter church looked like 20 years later, you'd be amazed how similar. Do I think God spoke to me? I think he did. But I know this, 
He called me to Atlanta. I knew that. And he says, come, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I say, okay, I'm going to Atlanta. And Carol agreed, and so we came to Atlanta. Now, the way I like to conclude my time is to just share three truths and tell a few stories. Three truths of, from God's word regarding faith living in the midst of the seemingly impossible. So here they are. Number one, put it up on the board. Faith living focuses on the will of God rather than the obstacles. Just think the Israelites, Numbers 13 and 14. It focuses on the will of God. So let's boil it down to you and me. Let's make it practical. What about you? Is there something that God's word declares, maybe regarding morality? But you find yourself saying, I just can't. I can't do that. I've tried and tried. I can't obey. I can't do it. Or young people particularly. Is there any authority that you won't obey? Some of you probably won't join a church. You'll come, come and come, won't join. Because you don't want to be under authority. But is there an authority that you won't obey? Because you feel that, oh, they're not always wise. They don't make the best decisions or whatever. Let me ask you this one. This is where I really want us to focus. Is there anything you should be attempting for God? But it failed to stop long enough to listen to God's promptings. I can't imagine the kind of resources that are not being used in our lives. If we were to go before the Lord and say, God, I am a housewife. I'm a mom raising kids. I'm a business person. I'm this. I don't care. God, what would you want to do? What would you want to do through me? that would be absolutely doomed to failure unless you be a part of it. And to see what would happen with that kind of impact going out from this place. Well, being our 45th anniversary, I thought it might be encouraging, I hope it would be inspiring as well, to tell just a few of the closing stories, stories as we close. And that is just to inspire you and encourage. And I hope you will take it in the same spirit as Paul in Romans 15, he says, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. But it happened for us now, okay? We just heard from the Lord, and the Lord said, okay, go. I knew the Lord had spoken, but driven my conscience. We're to go to Atlanta. I won't tell how, but I'm telling you, we knew it. It's, we're supposed to go to Atlanta. The problem was, when I finished my last week of seminary, to come here, we'd already prepared to come here. We'd already, you know, taken a, uh, putting down a deposit on an apartment. And now it's time to move to Atlanta. Well, we just had a baby two months earlier, our first child. And it's time to come. And Carol's little job ended and our money came to down to nothing. And when it came time for us to move and drive over here, we only had $10 when we ended up here in Atlanta. And we found out that the denomination that was going to pay us 15000 total for our working budget and our, our, you know, anything that we needed to do in terms of, of a salary or benefits, all of that was all packaged and we would get it in 12 installments for one year. It was a one-year commitment. But we found out before we moved over here that they told us that we wouldn't get paid our first month's salary until we'd been here for an entire month. And we ended up here with just 
and a baby. But it, why did we come? Well, it was just a sense we were called. This is what, this is the will of God. By the way, you can do that which you think is the will of God. You believe it with all your heart. And it is because your conscience says so. And you can do it with the best of motives. And you can still fail at whatever it is. It's important to know. But you'll always be better off because of the failure. And I could story that over and over. But for us, it was come here and now what do we do for money? We find out that we move in our apartment on a Thursday in June and we have to pay our first month's rent the next day on Friday by the end of the day. Well, by the end of the day, we didn't have $10. I mean, we didn't have but $10. We couldn't pay anything. So I tell Carol, I said, I got to go talk to the manager. I guess I got to give the manager our story. And of course, her question is, what's our story? <laughs> and I said, well, our story is God's our provider and he just hadn't provided yet. I don't know, but I got to tell him something. I don't know what I'm going to say. And I really didn't. I walked up to that counter. I said, uh, excuse me, uh, you need our money now, don't you? And the manager looked at me apologetically and said, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot about your payment. I've already taken the money to the bank for the weekend. I can't. I can't go back to the bank. We can't leave money here in the office over the weekend. Would you mind doing me a favor? I said, what's that? I said, would you mind coming back Monday to, to, to pay your, your payment? I said, oh, if that helps you, that's fine with me. <laughs> I come rushing back to Carol. And I said, Carol, you know God waits till the very last moment. He wants to stretch faith, and it's not the last moment. Carol, I'll tell you how that money's coming. We don't know a soul here in Atlanta, but I'll tell you what. We gave our mailing address to a lot of friends. God's going to put it on somebody's heart. It's going to be in the mail. That mailman will bring it to us tomorrow. And that was our only hope, which came crashing down when that mailman just passed right by. <laughs> now it's Sunday morning. We wake up on Sunday, and we're going to go to church. Obviously, I'm a pastor. don't have a church, but I'm a pastor, so we're going to go to church anyway. So we decided to go down to First Baptist. We'd heard a lot, probably the most popular church at that time and the biggest church probably. And we go downtown where it was at that point, and I... And we put our baby, Matt, in the, the, the nursery, and we're about walking into the, to the sanctuary, and the early service is coming out. And who comes out but an old friend of mine from college? He's a man that God used me by his grace in his life. He'd always felt appreciative. And on occasion while I was at seminary, he had sent money to me to say, I hope this will help you, da-da-da. And I would say, oh, I didn't feel comfortable. It's almost like he was trying to pay me back, so I, I, I'd send it back to him. And I say, thank you, give it to someone else in greater need. And now all of a sudden, I mean, we're needing $600. What we figured we need was $600. So we're going, oh my goodness. I look at him, he sees me and says, Randy Pope, what in the world are you doing here? And I can't say it, but I'm thinking to get your money. <laughs> and so, hey, hey but I thought, how am I gonna do that? You know, and I just say, hey, by the way, you got 600 bucks on you, you know, that kind of thing. So and then he says to me, he says, hey, you know, I know it's time for the next service to start, and my wife uh, in, in, is taking another car, and I'm going to be here. For the, do you mind if I just sit in the back until the sermon starts, and we can catch up? I want to hear from the back row. I'll sit on the end and, and leave when the sermon starts. I said, sure, because I'm thinking, yes, my opportunity. And I tell you what, I'm walking in, and it's like God spoke to my conscience. He said, don't mention need, don't mention money, don't and I wrestled with God, begging him, oh, God, this is my chance. I got a baby. We got, I didn't say a word. Sat there with him, talked about a new church we wanted to begin. And as the service goes on, they come to the offering. The 
Blake comes to me, and I notice he pulled out a checkbook, didn't think a thing about it, wrote a check, and was holding it. Looked like he was waiting for the plate. I handed him the plate. He handed the plate to the usher. He takes that check, and he stuffs it in my shirt pocket. And he said, I hope you'll accept this. I said, I will. <laughs> this one, not going back, I'll assure you that. And I'm just thinking, good, he's going to leave now. The sermon's starting. And he didn't leave. He stayed the whole time. And I'm doing this every now and then, you know. <laughs> How much? He's, anyway, he leaves, open the check, 600 bucks. Let me tell you, no one is going to convince me that that was a coincidence. It was just, no. In my opinion, God met us on that day. Well, we start this little group, and we're meeting a few people, witnessing to people, and get a little Bible study and so forth, and five guys walk up, come up to me a couple months after I've been here and said, out of a Bible study, they said, hey, we know you're here to start a church. We're here to help you. We want to be a part of it. And I said, well, that'd be great. And I said, uh, you know, if we want to do it, let's go ahead and start now. And they said, well, how do you do that? I said, well, we've got to get a building somewhere. And I said, how do we do that? I said, I don't know, but we've got to go after it. So you take, you take, you know, office buildings, and you take schools, and you take so-and-so in this area, and and we said, let's set a prayer date. We set a prayer date for several weeks later. Let's ask that God will provide that for us by that date. Well, everybody did their due diligence. Nobody could find anything. And we all reported in on that prayer date. No leads, no contacts. And I'm sitting in my office. I look my head back and I say, Lord, Lord, I thought it would be today. You'd provide. You didn't. Where do we go from here? And it was like, I don't know, just, did God prompt it? But I, I think so, I'm convinced. And uh, the name Cecil Day, the president founder of Day's Ends of America, I'd heard so much about this incredible man, and I thought, you know, there'd be a man that would have contacts and leads and so forth, and, and so I thought, I'm just going to go see him. So I looked up where his office was and so forth, and I'm leaving my little apartment, and I said, Carol, I'm going to see Mr. Day, president founder of Day's End. She says, You're, you got an appointment with Mr. Day? I said, well, I want to get an appointment, but I'm going to go see him. She said, well, how do you know he's going to be in town? I said, I don't, but I know I'm not going to see him if I don't make an effort. If I phone call him, he's not going to say, oh, sure, I'm sitting around wondering what to do. Come see me. So I thought, I, I, he'll say, no, not now. And I thought, we need to know it now. So I go see him, and by the grace of God, his assistant, who I know to this day, she was missing from her, from her desk right in front of his, there was his name, Mr. Day, you know, whatever, Cecil Day. And I'm telling you what, I think that providential was God, because I know her, she, I talked to her the last week or so, two weeks ago. I'll tell you this, at 92, I, I've known her long enough to know this, she was too good to ever let me get through. <laughs> and so I just go up to the door, and I'm an introvert, and this isn't easy, and I open the door, and I look around, and hear two men walking toward the door. I said, Mr. Day, and one of them said, that's me. I said, I'm a pastor trying to start a church here in Atlanta. I would love if I could have a few minutes with you just to see if you have some leads or contacts. I'm not asking for a gift, but leads or contacts for a place to meet. He said, I'll meet you after my next appointment. He did, and when, he, when I met with him, he said, I think I got the place for you. My old office building, I just moved out of it. It's on Beaufort Highway. I called his properties man and says, take, take Randy and show him this property. If he likes it, I'd like, to, I'd like to let him rent it. I'd love to have a church in it. And so I saw it, a beautiful man, when he walked, came up, he said, you got 19 parking spaces. I thought, great, we have room for growth. This is wonderful. <laughs> it had a room that would seat 50. I thought, more room for growth. Everything's perfect. And I said, 
I think this is perfect. I won't, if you'd ever seen it now, you'd never come to that place. <laughs> but it was, looked like a cathedral to me. I said, I'd, we'd love to rent this place. He said, well, you know, Mr. Day's going to be nice. He's going to give it to you at half price. And I didn't know what that was. And he said, we're talking $1,700 a month. And it's going to be utilities, so we're making it even. We'll give you a break there, too. $2,000. But when he said $2,000, I'm going, oh, my goodness. But I'm thinking, you know, of course, of a year, we're going to have offerings and so forth. We'll be able to maybe pay that. And then he mentioned something about monthly. And I go, what? This is like 2000 every month. I'm ready to say, whoa, 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 whoa. This, is, this ain't going to go anywhere. And he said, but... Before I could say anything, he says, but Mr. Day said that if he really were interested and really liked it to call him, he might want to give you a discount on top of that. And I'm thinking, I'm a math major. Let me tell you, I know 10% of 2,000 already, and it's not going to help at all. <laughs> and so with that, he picked up the phone. Boy, his jaw fell down. He looked at me. He said, man, he's giving you a deal. I said, how much? He said, $50 a month, no utilities. I tried to get him 25, but he wouldn't listen. <laughs> no. All I could say is, yay, God. You don't think God did that? And, and that God loves faith? And listen, well, there's no doubt. God did that. One last story on this. You probably don't know. You drive on this property week after week, and many of you first-timers now. You have no idea the God story of this property. Every time I look at this place, not every time, but over and over and over, I look at this place and I remember, oh God, let it never be anybody's thought except you provided this. Because we were ready to relocate. We had to. We'd outgrown our place. And so we said, all right, let's by faith. Do we think God wants us to move? Yes, okay, then let's move. And where should we go? And we believed as a leadership that we should be at a place that would contain our growth for at least my lifetime. And so with that... We said, let's look for that kind of property. And so we were looking for a large piece, and we found this piece of property. It was so many, many times over what we could even think about paying, but we had our budget. And I asked two commercial realtors in this church, would you go talk to the owner and just find if they would sell it to us? They came back and said, it's not going to work. Said, it's so much more expensive, way, way, way beyond, and it's under contract. I said, all right, well, let's keep praying. And so a couple of weeks later, I said, would you guys go back and talk to him again? He said, why? I said, well, because if the Lord wants us to have this, he's got to change something, and he might do that, you know. And I said, I think it's pretty I said, well, just go. This is a favor to me. And they did. It was a favor to me. And they came back and said, well, that was crazy. He said, why are you coming back? It's still in the contract to begin with, but you're not raised your money at all, any extra money. And so we prayed for a couple of weeks, and I went back to him. I said, I will not do this one more time, just this time. Would you go back and ask again? And just in kindness to me, they did. They walked in there, and when he saw them, the man said, do you still want that property? He said, yes, we do. How much? Gave the exact same dollar amount, many times less than what it cost. And he said, sold. If you can provide the monies in X amount of time, we said, we will fight to make that happen. And we got it. It had a downturn, whatever. It doesn't matter. So we had a period of due diligence. I'm out walking this property. This is the nicest piece of property in a three-county a, a three area from what they told me, and I could see why when I saw this property. And here we are, 100 acres and all this. And, and anyway, I, I look at this, and I go, I'm walking it just praying. 
And this lady, who was everything but friendly, came up to the fence by her yard line, seeing me, and said, what are you doing out here? I said, well, we've got this under contract. I'm a pastor of a church, and we hope to make a, build a church. He said, well, congratulations, but you'll never use it for a church. You have to get this zoning changed, and it's been five times efforts to zone. They could never get the zone because there's a lady lives next door to me right there, and she pointed next door. She said, most powerful woman in this community, Newt Gingrich, if that rings a bell, his personal assistant said, she will fight you to the end, and she wins. And so I thought, oh, well, John Purcell, member of our church now, he was on our staff. I said, John, would you take this, and he was over the relocation project. you got to go meet this lady. He gave her the name. I said, you need to meet her. You need to almost be like a son to her real quickly, you know. And <laughs> he says, okay. Before he could call, she calls him. And this is what she says. John, I hear you're over the relocation. I'd like for you to come to our homeowners association. We've combined 70 homeowners associations in the area, and we can block vote just about anything we want, and we're going to be discussing your property. And he thought, oh, no. And she says, and I want you to be here to see how enthusiastically I'm going to support its usage for a church. He said, man, we heard you were going to fight us. She said, no, what they don't understand, I'm 57 years old, and at 50 years of age, I became a born-again believer. And God gave me a ministry of prayer and a gift of faith. And I've been walking that property on beautiful days over and over again, asking God, let no one ever be on this property except someone who will use it to the glory of God. And I knew your church's reputation. And I said, this is my ministry to get you on. Unanimously, they voted that we could change so that we could build a church here. I won't tell you more stories there because... If you've heard how we got the money and what happened and so forth, I think it might be more important for you to hear these last two things. Because the second thing that we learned from the, the scriptures in this subject, God's will is revealed by, um, oops, let me read it again. Let me read it from here. Number two, faith living expects fears, but nevertheless obeys God. So in light of that, I'll be honest with you. If you'd seen me the night before we went to First Baptist, I was on my knees in the middle of the night and just crying and saying, God, it, I don't know what I did. I brought my family here and it's not going to happen. I don't know where to go from here. If you'd have seen the fear when we relocated here and got to the last hour and we didn't have the money, it wasn't going to happen. It was over and I knew it and I could see it coming. Now, in the last hour, and I mean the last hour, God provided the means for us to be able to relocate. But it was during that time, if you'd have seen me, you would see that I was weeping a lot, and I don't cry very often. And I was crying because I told Carol, I'm sad. I think God is speaking to me, saying, you need to, need to leave perimeter, go somewhere else, do something different. I never had that happen. I thought I was here forever. And I well, you know what? It wasn't because I was hearing from God. God showed me in the most clear manner that it was a fear of failure for me. And I didn't want failure. For that, I thought, I'll just leave before it crashes. And at that point, I wrote in my journal, and I've carried it with me since. I wrote these words. I was in Exodus about the splitting of the Red Sea. I said, I've led our church to the seashore. There's no way out. 
and Pharaoh's army is getting closer and closer, I'm sure our members are beginning to wonder whether the water is going to part. My confidence in my ability to get the people across the sea has vanished. And that's actually good, but in light of my diminished confidence, I found myself both frightened and discouraged. Part of my fear is my growing concern that the closer Pharaoh gets, the more unwilling our congregation might be to stand in faith, to see the waters part. But I am committed to leading them into those waters. Not all, not all will go with us, but live or die, we are headed into the waters. And that's why I love the people of this church. Because so many of you said, let's go. So many of you said, okay, we lost all that money. We lost this. We lost, let's go. And I'll never forget Carol. Oh, my gosh. How she stood side by side through this whole thing. We're having a big fundraiser trying to make one of these major things happen. And I always, Carol and I would lead the pledge ourselves, And we'd say, God, we're going to listen to you. And I had a sense that God was saying, we want you to give your, your savings, your life savings. To this effort. I thought, oh, no, Lord, don't do that. We don't have much money anyway, but that's going to be hard. And um, I sensed it was God. So I told Carol when I got home, I said, I think God may have spoken about that. We ought to consider giving our life savings and so forth. And she just started crying. And I said, Carol, what? She said, I knew you'd do something like this. And I said, no, 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 if we don't agree that's from God, we don't think, we don't move that way. She says, give me some little time to think. And she goes out on a walk. And she tells the story when she gets back. She said, she said, Randy, you won't believe what happened. The birds were speaking to me. I said, ooh, I pushed her too far on this one. <laughs> and she says, I said, what do you mean? She says, well, I'm just mad with God. I'm thinking, God, why? You take everything. You took our daughter and you took her overseas. You did this and you did this and you've taken this. It's like you, you want, now you take our, our, our savings. You want everything, don't you? And then she went, ooh, of course. He wants everything. It's his. And she said, then I just noticed birds all around chirping and chirping. And she had memorized a little poem that I can't tell you. It said the robin to the sparrow, or vice versa, I don't know. But two birds talking. And one says, why do these humans fret the way they do? And the other bird says, because obviously they don't have a heavenly father who cares for you and me. And she says, yes, let's do it. And our kids came along and the kids said, yes, let's do it. We thought, wow. I'm just saying this. You can fail. And we have failed. I didn't tell you our stories of failure. But with every story of failure that's a great story of failure, there is the story of something unbelievably good coming out. You always turn out for the better when you fail. So that leads to the third and final. Faith living. Faith living puts its trust in God's power, not in one's own resources. So how do you get the faith? How do you get your faith? More determination, more effort, more willpower? No, it's not that. Faith living is found just like we find salvation. It's found by God's grace alone. You've got to know that. We have to seek both salvation and faith living. We have to seek it, both of them, by just pleading with God to give it to us. And the gospel is, 
as I say, is the greatest story of something doomed to failure apart from grace. It is truly doomed to failure. Man falls. And what do we do? We, we need rescuing and we have a promise and it's that God will send his son to save us. And what do we do? We say, no, 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 the obstacles are too great. I've got to be good. I've got to be moral. I've got to be religious and I can earn. No, you don't. Not at all. So the answer, how do you get this life of faith, whether you're looking for salvation or a life of faith, you plead with God. That's why I would like to ask that as we close, that you let me pray for you as you would pray in agreement. And it would be the first of several prayers that you will pray. Uh, of these two little prayers that I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray this over and over. I've done this through membership classes or Taste of Perimeters for years and years and years. And I think it, in big part, accounts for why God has used so many people in a big way. Because I challenge them as they come in the church. Look, I'm going to invite you to pray two prayers. And they've just heard these same stories. Some of you have heard them. I'm glad you have. But I said, I'm going to invite you to pray two prayers. And there's only going to be one word difference in the two prayers. And they're brief. They're sentence prayers. And you start praying them. I'm going to ask you to pray it now as I close in prayer. But I'm going to ask you that you'll keep praying them. And here are the simple prayers. God, I'm inviting you right now to do something so significant in my life. There's the word, in my life, that it's doomed to failure unless you be in it. And if you go, oh, God could never change me. I got, I got moral issues. I've got chemical dependencies. I've got this. I've got that. God could never do anything significant to me. Well, let me tell you, you keep praying that, and when God does it, you will be the first person he would do that. You're the primary candidate for him to do that because he's going to get all the glory. And then the second prayer is simply this. I invite you also, Lord, to do something so significant, but now not in my life, but through my life, that it's doomed to failure unless you be in it. And I will assure you this. There are many of us here that say, God could never use me. I'm an introvert. God can't use me. I'm not this. God can't use me. Look at my sinful past. God can't. And let me tell you, if that's what you're thinking and feeling, you are the primary candidate for God to do just that. So I want to unleash all of our people here to start praying, God, here I am. Now do something in me. Do something through me. And let it be doomed to failure. I don't, I don't think it's okay. But you've got to speak to me, I know, which is going to be the part of how do you get a faith life? You better spend time alone with God. And you better be asking him, Lord, I'm listening. What is it you want from me? I'm just a mama. I'm just a businessman. Who cares what we are? I think God's going to answer that prayer. But let's close right now. And I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask you, if you will, as soon as I finish praying, that there might be, these people will be coming up here, it might be five or ten se seconds of quiet. And during that time, you talk to God. And as you do, this be the first installment of praying that prayer. When you do it, I want the next thing that we hear from this congregation are the words as we sing, great is thy faithfulness. That's what we have to remember. That's his promise. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, oh, we ask you that you would hear us as we plead before you. We're going to invite you for some of us to answer the biggest prayer in us that we could ever pray.
And that's come into my life. I'm not yours yet. And I want you. Hear me as I beseech you and beg you to do that until I have confidence through the fruit of my life that you have indwelt me. Father, those of us that are praying now for a faith walk, I pray, Father, you would use this to prepare us for the next couple of months, what's going to happen in this church, to stretch our faith even further. But right now, we want to ask you these two things. Lord, would you now begin doing something so significant in my life that it's doomed to failure unless you be in it? And secondly, Lord, I'm asking you, starting now, would you do something so significant through me that it's doomed to failure? lest you be in it. That's our prayer. And we're expecting you to do just that. Thank you for the exciting life that lies ahead as we follow you. Hear us now as we quietly sit before you. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.